Welcome to the First Church Message of the Week podcast. Thanks for listening in. St. Paul's Mental Health Manual deals with the ways that Paul, from prison, clearly writes with a concern for mental health when he says, Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are pure, whatever is of good rapport, think on these things. With our recent concerns for anxiety and depression, these verses can be viewed in a new light. In this week's message of the week, we hear another message from Reverend Dr. Joel Allen. He shares from the fourth chapter of Philippians, reminds us of Paul's time in prison, and challenges us to think on things that are true, good, and come from God. Here is the First Church Message of the Week. As you all know, there's just a tremendous increase of interest and concern in our world, especially in our, you know, where we live in our neck of the woods is is so, there's concern for mental health. And there's a sense and awareness that a lot of people are struggling, maybe more than before, with mental health issues. And so I wanted to talk about what the Apostle Paul says, because this section of Philippians chapter 4, which we'll read in a moment, really does speak to our mental health and how we can stay in a better space mentally. Now, of course, there's nothing new about concern for mental health. I mean, we used to use language like, you know, someone had a nervous breakdown, or, you know, that's kind of the old-fashioned way of saying someone is struggling with mental health. But we've really gone through a period of time where there's increased awareness. And, you know, the pandemic was really hard on us. I mean, I I struggled with the pandemic. I mean, it was hard emotionally to mentally to think there's a disease sweeping across the world and it's killing people. My sister-in-law, 55-year-old woman, died of COVID. She um, yeah, I mean, it, it was a real thing. People were dying and it wasn't just the, you know, the people that were dying anyway. It, there were people that were dying of COVID and that was hard. It was a hard time and it's still hard, but we're in a much better place. I had a friend on the faculty that, that uh, really, really, really struggled and had to step down from his position because it was such a struggle emotionally. So yeah, COVID is part of it. Um, social media is a part of it. The fact that we're, we're so engrossed in this social media world and it's so easy for someone to say something that they would never say to someone's face, right? They can write, oh, doesn't, don't they look fat or don't they look stupid in that picture or whatever. And it can just devastate another person. And so there's this incredible concern, especially among our young people for for mental health, the ways that social media can degrade someone's mental health. And just the other day, I was driving home from, from the church to, I'm house-sitting for Jen, and so I was driving over to her house, and there's this young guy, that, I mean, he's probably a 14, 15-year-old kid that was riding his bike in the road, and he was, like, on his phone, it's like, you got, you, dude, you're riding a bike 
get off your phone that we're so we tend to be so addicted to it. And, you know, I love my phone, too, but but I have a Bible on my phone. And so I'm usually reading that. <laughs> and actually, I do in church. I very often will read along with the text on my uh, I've got a Bible app that I really like. And so um, so I use it. But you know what? I took way too much, just like any time. The other day I was in a restaurant. I was by myself because I was here, you know, and I sat down. I was just, you know, I was waiting for my food. And I thought, you know what? I could just sit here and kind of look around. You know, we used to do people watching. We don't do that anymore because we're on our phone. So, you know, um, so, and that cause, it can cause stress, especially if you come across something that someone says about you or, you know, but this, I, I just thought it was so interesting. This young fellow couldn't just ride, ride his bike. You know, when I was a kid, we just went out and rode our bike and enjoyed the day. You know, now it's like on your phone. So, I mean, those are, those kinds of things can have, not, not always, but can have a degrading effect on people's mental health. And just concerns about our world. I mean, there's a lot of concern about climate change right now with the smoke we've had. You know, I remember last year that we had like 10 days of just heavy smoke in Mitchell. And it's like hard to, it was just emotionally difficult to deal with that. We couldn't see the sun for 10 days. I've talked to many, you know, old, you know, people that are a lot more elderly than I am. And like, have you ever seen anything? Nope, never seen anything like this. Now, of course, there was the Dust Bowl days, too. And, you know, people have had to face all kinds of difficulties in the past, of course. But, but there's a special kind of concern that a lot of people have about the climate changing. And it's difficult emotionally to deal with those kinds of things. And then just concerns for our democracy. You know, we had such a, we almost just came apart at the seams in the last election. And, uh, and so there's this anxiety about, can we survive another election? Can we even get through another, another election without completely coming apart at the seams as a nation? What's going to happen? It causes anxiety. And so there's just a lot of things out there. Now, there, as I said, there have always been things people have been dealing with, right? Of course, the Second World War, you know, imagine yourself in 1939 <clears throat> realizing, you know, the Jewish people are being rounded up in Europe and this horrid person, Adolf Hitler, is making these terrible speeches and we're probably going to war. I mean, that's an emotional burden. And so it's nothing new, but it's maybe worse in some ways on some levels. So does the Bible have things that can be helpful in providing some direction in dealing with uh, these challenges that we're facing in a unique way right now? And I think that Philippians chapter four, the first nine verses, provide some kind of helpful direction, especially as we get to verse eight and nine, uh, the very clear and obvious w keys that Paul uses to help people to understand how they can navigate these uh, various mental health challenges. So I'm going to read uh, Philippians chapter four. You can use your pew Bible to read along if you like, or your phone. You can use your phone to read along. So uh, verse one through nine. Therefore, my brothers and sisters whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, 
my beloved. I urge you, Odia, and I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my love, loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say it, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me and the God of peace will be with you. The word of God for the people of God. So there are three points. There actually are more points we could pull out of this passage, but I'm going to boil it down to three for the sake of time. Uh, three basic ideas that I think can be helpful in uh, navigating the mental health challenges that we have. And the first is the importance of being in right relationship with other people. There must have been some dust up between these two women, Euodia and Syntyche. Now, I'm going to back out of this and just talk about something else for a moment uh, before I continue the sermon. Um, there's real good evidence from this that Euodia and Syntyche were house church leaders. And uh, they must have been important because they're mentioned by name. They could have, you know, so Paul got a message from Epaphroditus had come to see Paul in prison from Philippi. And so Paul... Uh, hears from Epaphroditus, he's in prison, he hears from Epaphroditus that there's some conflict between Euodia and Syntyche. It's not, Epaphroditus must have told Paul the names, and Paul knew the two women because he had established the church in Philippi. And so these women were not just like people kind of around the edges. They probably were patronesses of house churches. They had to have been important because Paul knows them by name. Paul doesn't say, hey, those women that are fighting, tell them to settle it, cool it. He doesn't do that. He, he names them by name and he uses the word, I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche, which places greater emphasis on, on their individuality. The reason why that's important is because it's a very powerful early Christian evidence that women played leadership roles in the early church. Very good evidence. That, so your, this church has had two important senior pastors, Sarah and now Jen. And so it's another one of those instances in the Bible that are very important to make a biblical argument for women in leadership. Okay, said enough about that. Let's get back into social, um, to um, um, medical, uh, mental health issues. So Paul does mentions these two women by name, but doesn't tell us what the conflict was. Often Paul will tell you exactly what the conflict is and we'll write a whole book about it. Galatians is a whole book written about a specific conflict that Paul, that, that, that's going on and Paul is writing to respond to it. In this case, he just says, Hey, I'm calling on Euodia and I'm calling on Syntyche. I urge you both to be of one mind in the Lord. So we have no idea what the conflict was. Paul knew, Epaphroditus must have known, but uh, we don't know what it was. 
But we know it must have been causing some real difficulty in the church, causing some dismay and discomfort and discouragement and degrading to their mental health. And Paul is calling on them, and not on just Euodia and Syntyche, but he challenges other church leaders. He mentions one, he, he doesn't give the name, he just says, my loyal companion. That probably is actually Epaphroditus who's carrying the letter. That's probably, you know, he doesn't need to give his name because he told them, now Epaphroditus, when you take this letter, go talk to these ladies and help them to settle their issue. So, but, so, and, and he, he does give us another name, Clement. He says, together with Clement and the rest of my coworkers. So in other words, Paul is not just saying to the ladies through Epaphroditus, the letter, that you need to settle it and sit down and work out your a, a disagreement with each other. He doesn't just do that. He actually calls on other church leaders to help them work through this problem. We don't even know what the problem was. But Paul is calling on them to work it out in as a church community. This is important to Paul. Being in proper relationship with others in the church is, or any context where you work is extremely important. It's very easy to, when you're around people, the same people, especially for a long period of time, it's just natural that things go sideways sometimes, right? It's just natural. We sometimes bump into things where you accidentally hurt someone's feelings and you don't realize it, or you say something thoughtlessly, or you're just joking and they take it seriously, or whatever it is, countless ways that we go sideways in our relationships to people that are around us, and suddenly you find that you're out of sync. And Paul is saying to us, take that seriously. Deal with those. Don't just ignore it. Don't just like, Oh, they'll get over it. Uh, don't treat relationship problems that way, but take them seriously. And it's exactly what he's doing. He's calling on the church saying, fellow coworker, loyal coworker, uh, Clement, you all need to work on this together and settle this problem so that when you come together to worship the Lord, you're in right relationship with everyone that's around you. <clears throat> A while back, I was, uh, I realized, I came to realize that a person that I considered my friend, that there's something there in our relationship. Uh, their office was two doors down from mine. I, uh, my office is in the McGovern Library, and it, it was actually the librarian of the McGovern Library. Uh, I, I suddenly realized, I thought we were on good terms. Something is wrong here. Now, this person has gone on to a different college, so I feel like I can speak freely. But um, something was wrong. And I kept thinking, well, did I do something? Did I say something? I had no clue. But I could tell this person was really upset with me. And then they sent me an email because of this issue that we were dealing with. And, and she wrote an email to me. I just thought, whoa, that email is on fire. Like, what's going on? And I just, over a period of several months, I just decided, well, she'll get over it, whatever it is. I don't, you know, and if I talk to her, it'll probably make things worse. And it was just one of those things that kept going on over a period of time. But it really wore, it wore me down emotionally because I could tell this person was really upset with me about something. I didn't have a clue what it was. I thought that I had always been friendly and nice and, you know, I didn't have any idea what it was. But I kept 
putting it off and not just putting it off, just kind of expecting her to get over it. Like whatever it was, get over it because I don't I think I ever did anything mean to you. And I noticed in my devotional reading, I kept coming into reading passages that would say things like, you know, if your brother or sister has something against you, go and, you know, take don't come to the altar to worship me, but go and make it right with that person. I was reading those kinds of verses. And so I thought, oh man, I think the Lord is telling me I need to go deal with this. And it scared me because I thought it's just going to get worse. It's whatever it is, it's just going to get worse. So finally I did it. I was, I, you know, I was so nervous, but I thought Ugh, she's in her office. It's kind of quiet. There's not a lot going on in the library right now. I'll do it. So I walked into her office, shut the door, and I said, what's going on? I, uh, I have a feeling that I've, hurt your fe- that I've hurt your feelings somehow or I've done something to offend you, and I had. And we worked it out, and uh, things got 80% better. Never completely rebounded, but it got a lot better. And at least the emotional stress that I was under because of this relationship difficulty got a lot better. And I think what Paul is telling us here is take relationships seriously. And when they go sideways, don't just get mad and storm out. Go and work it out like an adult. I think he's saying something like that. Work it out. And if you need help, get help. If there are people around you that can come and help you work through this problem, great. But you need to work through this problem. So Paul is saying to these Philippian Christians, it's important that you work this out. And it does help a lot to just kind of be in a better mental space when you feel that you're on right relationship with, in right relationship with people that are around you. It just helps you. But if you're living out of relationship with someone, now sometimes you can't do anything about it, right? Sometimes someone just says, I hate your guts and that's all there is about it. And you just can't change their mind. I mean, I know of situations like that virtually. But if you can, Paul is calling on the on Christian disciples of Jesus to work out their relationship problems with intentionality because it keeps you in a better mental space. So that's the first point that I would like to make. Work on relationships, take them seriously and work out disagreements with all the ardor and concern and effort that you can, you can bring to it. The second one comes where he says in verse, the second point on mental health comes where he talks about anxiety and worry in verse six. Do not worry about anything, but in every, and we could talk about the verses above this, but uh, start at verse, verse six. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which passes, surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So Paul is saying, um, do not be worried. Do not be anxious. A lot of the older translations would say, don't be anxious. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and supplication. Now, I know when you hear something like that, you know, if some, if you're worried about something and someone just says, don't worry, stop worrying. I mean, your immediately response is, um, that's just easier said than done, right? It's just easier said than done. 
if you're kind of type of a person that tends to fret about things and tends to worry about things, and someone tells you just to stop it, you, you realize you can't do that. You can't just like stop. It's not that easy. So you might want to say that to Paul, like, Paul, why are you telling me to do something that's not, you know, it's just so much easier to say that than it is to actually do it. But Paul doesn't just tell them, don't fret. He gives more to, there's more to this command. He says, don't worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God, and then God's peace will guard your hearts and your minds. Now, for a lot of people, even that is not very helpful because I don't know if you've had this experience where you start praying and praying and praying about something and you realize that the more you pray, the more anxious you are because you're thinking about it and you're, and, and sometimes our prayers are fretful prayers. But I think the Apostle Paul knows that there are forms of prayer that are, that work better because it, they keep your mind, they help to keep your mind in a better place. There are certain prayers that are fretful prayers, but there are other prayers that are deeply meditative, reflective, and nourishing to your soul kinds of prayers. And so I think it's important to make a distinction with the kinds of prayers that you're praying. Have you learned prayers that actually train your soul to take something that's causing anxiety and concern, things that you're worried about, and actually moving them off the table of your heart and giving your, your, your brain space to really recover and find peace. There are types of prayers that will actually do that. Prayers that are meditative, prayers that are, are, are uh, filled with grace where your mind can can allow the things of ang- the anxieties of this world to be shifted from your brain so that you can, your brain can rest and relax. A while back, I, uh, in fact, it was in January of this year, as I recall, I was uh, preaching at a church down in Wagner and driving home and my phone went off and I saw it was my daughter and I picked up the call and she said, Dad, our house is getting really cold. I went, oh no, not the furnace again, not the furnace again. And we have a furnace, we bought it. I mean, it's 10 years old, but it's, you know, should still work. And it's a good high quality furnace. And, but we've had all kinds of difficulties with it. And so I called the guy in the company and had him come over. So by the time I got home, uh, we were already starting to get it taken care of. But the guy, after about three or four hours, walked out the door and he said, um, I'm pretty sure it's your blower and I don't have a blower. We're going to have to order one from the company. And I thought, well, how long is that going to take? He said, well, we'll try to ship it fast, but maybe a week. I thought, it's getting down to zero every night here. Come on. So, I mean, and so he said, like, well, space heaters. So I went and got space heaters and put them all over the house and and, oh, my anxiety was just through the roof because especially as the night goes on and the temperatures are falling down to, you know, below 10 degrees. And, um, and you have all these space heaters running. And so I thought I better go down and check the circuit box, the circuit breaker box downstairs. So I went downstairs and the circuit breaker box was rattling. It was rattling. It was like, uh, uh, uh. 
<laughs> it's like, you don't want to hear that from your electrical box. That's not the right sound. It's supposed to be silent, by the way. So I put my hands all over it to see if it was heating up. I, I just didn't want it to have a fire. And thankfully, it was it was not heating up. But of course, we had to unplug a bunch of this, the space heaters because we couldn't have the circuit breaker box rattling all night. So thankfully, after about a half an hour, it stopped rattling. And um, so, you know, I slept in the basement in a sleeping bag and was like jumping up every half hour to check everything to make sure everything, the faucets were dripping and, and left all the cabinet doors open, all the tricks that we know, right? So, and, um, and I laid down, I was getting up and going down, up and down. So about three in the morning, I got up and checked everything and laid back down. And, um, and I was sleeping in the basement because I wanted to be close to the place where you we shut the water off to the house in case there was a major, you know, break in the lines. So the, so I was sleeping near the shutoff valve in the basement. So I, um, I went back to bed around three o'clock and I was, I just thought, realized I am as stressed as I could be right now. I am totally stressed out. And it occurred to me, I haven't even prayed about this. I haven't even prayed about it. And so I started this kind of meditative practice. And I, there's meditative type prayers that I would strongly recommend that really help you to find a deep zone of mental calm. So I started meditating and kind of thinking of myself, imagining myself taking this whole situation and giving it over to God and and kind of receiving a new kind of calmness of mind and soul. And I was able to end up going to sleep and sleeping quite well a few hours till I had to get up for the next day. And it turned out, just to finish the story, he was he found a blower and was able to put a blower in that next day. So just one night, I thought it was going to be a week, but it was just one night. So thankfully, when the, when the pipes didn't break. So, um, but... It was that kind of prayer that I had to discover that helped me to get through that difficult time. And so, uh, so it's not just any kind of praying. Some kinds of prayers make you even more nervous and anxious. So I want to encourage you to learn the styles and the disciplines of prayer that really help your mind to calm down and find that what he says here, that we can live our lives without anxiety, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let our requests known to God. And then the peace of God, which passes all understanding, can guard your hearts and your minds. So I want to encourage you not just to pray, but to find meditative prayer practices that actually help your mind to calm down. So that's the second point that I'd like to make. And then the third point that I'd like to make is, uh, is the one at the end that uh, that focuses on uh, thinking good things and thinking about things that are good things. Listen to these words again. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. You know, Paul is saying this needs to be something you focus your attention on, that you think on certain things, that you learn to live your life in a place of gratitude and and focus on the things that are good in your life. You know, it's interesting that 
even when we feel like we're having a bad day or you're, you know, it just seems to be a normal day even. There, if, there, it's interesting how when you get a little bit of a difference in perspective, you can just have, it can change your thing so much just by looking at things a little bit differently. For instance, um, I was thinking about, I've, I've thought about this so many times. I've, I've had some problems with my feet. Like I love to run and then some, something will happen with my foot and I'm flat footed anyway. And so, and so you have this pain in your foot and you can't run and you walk across a parking lot and you're like limping and I've got a therapy boot that I have to put on every now and then when I have the problem arise. And then, and then it goes away and you can walk across the parking lot and it just doesn't hurt. Like today, when I walked in, I, wa- I was able to walk in this building with no pain. Now, when you've had some pain, you appreciate it, right? And just having that perspective, like right now to think, you know what? I have something good to really be grateful for. I am not experiencing pain. If you are, I'm sorry. It's difficult. Thank God for painkillers. But the fact is, there's nothing like not experiencing pain. But we don't think about it. It just kind of in our minds, it doesn't we don't ponder on those basic things. And so it's often the case that if you just kind of back up and say, okay, what are all the really, really good things in my life? You can take an average day and turn it into a fantastic day just by like, thank you, God, that I have these beautiful things. I, I think, thank you, God, that when I go home at the end of this time here, I have a home that I love to be in with people that I really love to hang out with. I get to go back and hang out with them. Isn't that great? It's great. It's wonderful. But sometimes you just don't think about the things that you really ought to be grateful for. And Paul is taking those, those little moments and like putting them on the forefront of our mind and saying, you need to be intentional about this. If you want to be in a good mental place, you have to work on it. It's effort. It, it, it demands some effort. And so I want you to think on these things. Give it serious thought. Sit down and just spend 10 minutes focusing your mind on all the good things in your life. You can take any old day that you have and turn it into a marvelous, wonderful day simply by focusing on the good things. I heard an amazing story a while back, and I I don't know if I'll tell it correctly because it's been a while since I heard this story, but I heard it at about uh, at a Holocaust museum uh, in Israel. They have these all these places where they tell stories about people that survived the Holocaust. But in one of them really struck me. There's a woman that was, uh, that was in a, one of the camps, a Jewish woman that was in one of the camps. And she, she said that, you know, describes the horror of where she was living and the, the, the starvation and the, you know, the ways they were forced to work. It's just to the, you know, work their, you know, it's a horrible existence. But she said, I found that some of the happiest moments I've ever experienced in my life before or after were experienced in that camp. Because there was a friend that she had made that would, that was, that had become very dear to her. And she said, we would lay together on the cots and the 
in the, the house infested with lice and vermin. And she said this girl and her would just kind of touch hands. They would just sit there and touch hands together. And she said, those were some of the happiest moments of my life. So there she was in a prison camp, experiencing the greatest joy she would ever know in her whole life. Good moments can come out of bad moments. And Paul knows that. And he's saying, you need to focus on those good things. And it will transform your attitude. It will change your day from a bad one into a good one. Focus on the good things. So those are three points that Paul makes here, I think, in this little section of mental health space in, in the book of Philippians. First one is... Uh, um, <laughs> And now I'm having a hard time remembering the first one. Be in right relationship with other people. Make sure your relationships are right that you have. Make sure you're not just ignoring something that has gone wrong in a relationship, but I don't care if they feel that way anyway. Don't be that way. Be in right relationship with others. And secondly, uh, learn to deal with your anxieties in a way that is actually helpful so that you can live in this sense of peace. Learn to experience God in ways that actually help you deal with anxiety so that your anxieties are, you're able to live with a sense of peace. And finally, focus on the good things. There are certain things in your life that are really, really good. And if you focus on them, you can keep your mind in a better place and live your life with a, a broad sense of well-being. And that's something that I think we all really want to have. So that's my sermon today for uh, some points on mental health from what Paul says in Philippians chapter four. Let's close with a thought of a prayer before God. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord, for this advice that we have received and help us to live our lives with real joy in right relationship with others, with uh, with peace that comes from dealing with our anxieties in, a, in an effective way and focusing our minds on that which is good. Help us to live as you would have us to live. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for the First Church Message of the Week. To stay connected, subscribe to this podcast and follow us on Facebook. For more information like our church calendar, worship times, and upcoming events, visit our website at watertownfirst.church. This has been the First Church Message of the Week.